I like that song. Just let that go for a little while. Nah, it's okay. We should get on with service. But archive that. I like that one. I like that one. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. Glad to see you guys out there online, wherever you are in the world, whenever you're watching this. Um, welcome. Um, as uh, Pastor Gabe said, uh, Pastor Epaphras and his congregation, they're watching us, I think it's about 8 p.m. They do church in the morning and then come back at 8 p.m. at night to watch us again. So welcome out there, you guys. Bless you and your congregation. Um, before we get started, um, I know that we have a few uh, first-time visitors and we have a few folks that... Um, their family, but they haven't been here in a while. So this is the time of the service in the morning where all you first-timers will come up front and give a few minutes of testimony. So take, okay, take turns. All right, stay, relax. Heartbeat go down to normal. That's not what we do. That's not what we do. Who here grew up in a church where they did things like that or did things that were just like, whatever it is, incredibly uncomfortable to put you on the spot, right? We're not like that. Our, our focus, we want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And so whatever we can do to have the Holy Spirit speak to you and just facilitate that, that's what we want to do. But that being said, um, you're going to hear words like Jesus, like Jesus Christ, like sin, like demons. All those things, gifts of the Spirit, all those things are are things that are so important that I think um, all churches, not, I'm not pointing the finger at any church, all churches have a tendency to focus on the good news of the gospel message, which is wonderful, but there's a big segment of that that we leave out. And when we do that, we are, we are just running past so much of the power that Jesus Christ died on the cross to give us that power to navigate and live through a life like we're faced with today in a, in a way that's glorifying to God, in a way that draws other people to him. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important. That's why acknowledging the demonic and, and the oppression that, the, that Satan can throw at you and all these things are so important. And I don't ever want to be guilty of leaving those things out. So we're going to talk about those things today. Um, if you are a first-timer, I quote a lot of Scripture. We'll have a lot of Scripture. We'll put it on the screen, so don't worry if you don't have your Bible. But if you have one, bring it. If you need one, in the basket in the back corner are some Bibles back there. You can borrow one. You can take one. You can keep it, whatever. But, but they're back there. Um, you're also going to hear a couple Greek lessons. Yay! Who's going yay? I know, I know a couple people are couple people are, but if you've never experienced it, you may be like, seriously? There are times when we're teaching through Scripture that the English translation of what was originally written in Scripture just doesn't paint the picture, just doesn't give us the fullness of what's happening. And so when that happens, when I run into those, I'll bring some of that out. Does that make sense? <coughs> Excuse me. All right, so let's get going. Um, we are in the very last message of our series in the book of James. It's called Works of the Heart. Um, now again, don't worry if this is your first time here um, because this, it wraps everything up nicely. So if you're gonna come to one, you picked a good one to come to. We're gonna get into a new series next week. Anybody know what it is? 
I was going to say, if you do, tell me, because I'm still waiting for, still, no. All right. We call it works of the heart because James is so practical. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And the cool thing about James is that he wasn't even a believer in Jesus. He wasn't one of the early adopters, let's say. It took him quite a while to finally acknowledge and believe that his half-brother, Jesus, was the Christ. And so he's got a really interesting perspective. So one of Jesus' um, one of his, his cornerstone events was the Sermon on the Mount. If you've ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount, just the, probably even to this day, the greatest single um, sermon or teaching on just wisdom, on how to live a decent life. Forget about a, a good and godly and Christ-following life, just a, just a good life, and avoid so many of the pitfalls. Now, obviously, he was doing it in the context of uh, of a godly life, but it's widely acknowledged as one of the best teachings ever, secular or Christian. And James, probably at that time when Jesus taught that sermon, probably wasn't quite a believer yet. But I think he was there. I think he was in that crowd listening to that sermon, and he's soaking these things in. And then when he came to the revelation that, yes, Jesus is the Christ. Now, the Holy Spirit comes in and just illuminates these things, and now he sees them in a different way. And he brings a perspective that is so practical. James is so practical, and I love that about him. And basically what he says, he makes no bones about it. He says, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and your life doesn't reflect it, in other words, if somebody can't look at you and say, I bet they're a Christian just because of the way they live their life, then what use is it? Why? And I would argue that he's exactly correct in that. If you receive salvation, the minute that you say yes to Jesus Christ, you get that, and you get that gift of eternal life. If that's all there was to our life, wouldn't you just go to heaven immediately? What's the point of even being here if we don't have a job to do? And James is saying, you very much have a job to do. It's not over when you say yes to Jesus. That's when it begins. That's when your eternity begins. And so I pray that as we've gone through this series, that it has given you nuggets here and there that you can use that have changed the way you look at things, maybe changed the way that you live your day-to-day, maybe even just a situation that you have faced here and there that you've handled differently after hearing some of the teaching that we've done. So our life should be one that's glorifying to God and reflective of the new person that we are in Jesus Christ. And so that's what James says. So we're going to wrap this message up today with James. He's written this letter to to this group of, of Jews who have been scattered because of persecution. They are believers in Christ, but they started and they were raised by heritage. They were Jews. And then they've converted to Christ, but they've been scattered. And so he's writing to them, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who God called you to be. Don't forget your new life. Here's how to live that life. So last week, we talked about the power of prayer, the enormous power of prayer, especially in the context of the body of Christ, which is all of you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a part 
of the body of Christ. And so he says, if you're suffering, the remedy to that is to pray. If you're happy, your response should be to pray. If you need healing, you should. You guys are getting, you're getting a theme here. If someone around you needs healing or support or encouragement, you should pray. Absolutely. The only way that we as, as flawed human beings can stand up to everything that the enemy throws at us in this world is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the only way. And that power of the Holy Spirit is accessed through prayer. That's how we hear. We can hear and help others. We can hear and help ourselves know the direction to go. So ultimately, James is saying you need to surround yourself with a body of believers who can support you, encourage you, lift you up every day in prayer. That's why I love the technology of listening online. But if that's all that your exposure to church is, then you're missing out on a huge part of what God has for you. So this week... He's wrapping up this letter. He's written this whole letter to them, encouraging them, exhorting them to do things. And now he's saying, okay, we're going to wrap this whole thing up. It's only two verses, the last two verses. So this is a very, this is a very short one. And yet, I guarantee I'm still going to run out of time. So we're in chapter 5, James chapter 5. We're in verses 19 and 20. The last two verses. Now, depending on your translation, I use the New American Standard Bible, NASB, by the way. It's just the one I teach out of. If you have a different one, it might be worded slightly different. But mine is subtitled, it says, Correcting a Sinner. I don't know what yours says. Sometimes it's, it's a little bit different. But I can tell you that this section is often misunderstood and sometimes often abused in the way that it's used. So let's dive in. I want to take it apart and let's look at it. Um, James is, is addressing the importance of not casting out or ostracizing those who are struggling in their faith. That sounds like a pretty Christian message, doesn't it? If you're struggling in your faith, should you be allowed in church? Yes. If you made mistakes this morning, should you be allowed in church? Should any of us look at someone and said, you're struggling, you have questions, you're not quite sure, you're struggling, I see the things that you deal with, maybe it's addictions, maybe it's anger, whatever it is, should we say, maybe you just stay home until you got it figured out and then come on back? No, and that's exactly what James is saying here, but this section has been misused to say just the opposite sometimes. So I want to make sure we're clear on it. He could have easily said, because remember, he's just got done talking about, okay, these people are taking advantage of these people. So stop doing that. And you who are being taken advantage of, you need to pray for those people who are taking advantage of you because they're struggling too. He's been saying all this. And so what he could have done at this point is just go, hey, 
If there are wolves in your midst, if there are people who aren't quite up to par, just kick them out. Who's got time for that? He could have said that. That's not at all what he says. So I'm going to read to you this section right here. Now, the note, this is not what typically would be known as an evangelistic message, okay? This is geared towards people who already believe, telling them how to help each other, encourage each other to stay on course, okay? So that's what it's about. James 5, 19 to 20, I'll read it for you. And follow along if you like. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that the one who has turned a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Okay. There's kind of a chunk there, and I'll tell you one reason why this has been frequently misunderstood and even sometimes misused is because at the same time James is writing this letter telling them that, Paul, this one, this obscure guy known, known as the Apostle Paul, is traveling around, preaching a message, teaching a message to all these churches on these missionary journeys that's almost contradictory to what James just said. And it's hard sometimes to, to reconcile the two of those. Things like this, like Paul writes this to Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20. He says, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these, listen to this part. This is amazing. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. We don't talk about that scripture very much. I wouldn't be surprised if many of you were like, does it really say that? 1 Timothy 1, verse 20 is what that is. Turn them over to Satan. This is Paul teaching that. Then he writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5.11. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is a sexually immoral person or a greedy person or an idolater or is verbally abusive, or habitually drunk, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a person. Okay, that knocks three-fourths of us out of this congregation right now. I'm just being honest, right? Too many times I have seen the body of Christ at large reject someone who is desperately in need of help and using verses like this to justify it. And I'm not just saying like, oh, I've seen it. I've lived it. I was one of those persons. 22 years ago, I had an entire church reject me and told me, maybe you should just not come back. Feel free to not come. In that situation, it was more guilt by association, the company you keep sort of a thing. But the point is the same. That's been used. Some of you have probably experienced that. And I want to apologize on behalf of the organized church in this country that we have done things like that. But I can tell you that these kinds of verses, while true, I'm not saying those are not correct, but they are written to, in context, geared to people who know the truth 
and have rejected the truth. They know they need help and have rejected help. Okay? They're non-repentant. They know they need help, but they don't want it. They have made the conscious choice to partner with darkness instead of pursuing the light. In that case, they are saying, move on from those people. Those people don't want it. All right. So James wants us, though, to be doers of the word, the whole word, not just parts of it, the whole word. So let's see what that means. Let's go into, it's only two verses again, but let's go into it and see what he's really saying here. Be, get ready. Here comes your first Greek lesson. James 5.19. James 5.19. My brothers and sisters, right there that tells you he's writing to not just a bunch of strangers. It's a term of endearment to, to his church family. If anyone among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, okay, there's a comma, it's a continuing thought, but let's stop there because there's a lot. That word strays. If anyone among you strays from the tooth. First Greek lesson, it's planeo is the word in Greek. That word translates it as planeo. And the definition is to cause to wonder or to lead Astray. It's actually the, the root of the word planet, meaning you know, planets wander around the galaxy. The idea here is it refers to someone who has been misled and led into darkness. Okay, not someone who has just chosen that on their own. They've actually been misled. And then the second word there, or second phrase, turns him back. Someone turns him back. And in our language, that's three words. But in the Greek, it's just epistropheo. And the definition is to return to. It's the opposite of repent. Repent means turn away from it, walk away from it. That's what the word repent means. This word means to turn towards and come back. Point somebody towards the light. It's not about telling somebody that they're lost, okay? It's about helping them see the way back. See the difference? The difference is very clear, but I'm going to show you graphically, okay? It's the difference between this. How many of you would see that and go, oh, okay, let's sit down and have a coffee, and you can tell me my transgressions? It's the difference between that and this. Okay? It's the difference between pointing out sin, telling them they're lost, and helping them to see the way back. It's critical. Next verse. Again, there's only two. James 5.20. Let him know that the one who has turned a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So he's not talking about a specific particular sin like idolatry or sexual sin or anything like that. He's talking about a multitude of sins. It's about turning away from whatever path you're on and turning back to the right path. And note this, it's not about, it's not the one helping who has saved anyone. You could read this and feel like, if I save someone, if I help them turn back onto the right path, then I have saved his soul. It's not that. I want to be clear about that. Ephesians 2, 
Paul writes this, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace, the grace of God is what gives the gift of faith. Okay, Faith is only possible through God. It's a gift of his. You can't give it to someone else. But you cannot be a part of the problem. So did you catch the idea, kind of a subtext here, the idea of encouraging one another in the context of a community? Let me read it again. James 5.20. Tell me if you can do this at home. I'm not condemning you if you're out there at home. Can you do this at home with your feet up on your coffee table, watching church on TV? If that's your only option, I get it. And I'm not condemning you. But can you do this at home? Let him know that the one who has turned a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Can that be done in anything other than relationship? It can't. It can't. And there are many ways to get relationship, but you have to have that. So if anyone strays and someone makes an effort to turn him back, let him know that he's done a great thing. That's what James is saying here. Paul writes it like this in Galatians. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing... You who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you're not tempted as well. Bear one another's burdens and thereby thereby fulfill the law of Christ. It's relationship again, isn't it? How can you bear someone else's burdens from miles away? You can only do that in the context of a church body where we are supporting one another talking to one another, encouraging one another. That's what it's about. We're shown evidence every single day. Before this day is over, you will see evidence of lost souls right here in our community, right here in our backyard. Forget watching the news and seeing nationally or worldwide. We're seeing that every day. But why so often do we choose just to mind our own business? It's not my business. What business of it is mine? I would ask you, is that a loving response? Is it loving to see someone who's lost and let them stay lost? I can't read any scripture where it says it's loving to let the lost stay lost. Let me ask you a question, just kind of an illustration to put this together. What if you heard a news story about a person who was lost and their family was worried about them. Maybe it was on the news this morning. Maybe it was a poster on a billboard or on a street corner. Uh, Remember they used to do milk cartons with lost on it. What if you saw a story like that and you were walking down the street or sitting on your porch or driving down in in your car and you looked out and you saw what you knew for sure, that's gotta be that person. It looks just like them. It's right. They look lost. It's, it, that's got to be the person. Let me ask you, would you stop and talk to them? 
Would you leave your house and walk across the street and talk to them? Would you, would you park your car, circle around, come back, talk to them? Would you find a way or would you just mind your own business? Before you ask that question, think about this. What would be going through your mind? Well, it looks like them, but I'm not 100% sure. What if I do and they think I'm some kind of weirdo who's like going to try and do something to them? What if I'm wrong? What would I, I'd just be so embarrassed if I went over and, and said, hey, are you lost? Can I help you? And they're like, no, I'm your neighbor. I just moved in two houses down. These are the things the enemy speaks to you. And I'm not just saying in that situation, think on a bigger picture. Maybe you would just say, you know what? I'll just pray for them. I'll just pray, I, 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 God, let them find their way and let them be safe. And I'll just let it go at that. That's, that's the way to play it safe. After all, there's no repercussions coming your way. Now, what if later in that same day, you heard that something terrible had happened to that person? How would you feel? How would you feel knowing you could have done something? We're talking about eternity here in this big picture. Somebody who walks away, they're straying, they're on the wrong path, and we just let it go because it's none of our business. What if they turn on me? What if they're angry at me? It's a risk, right? It is a real risk that they could turn on you. One pastor put it, he described it like this. He said, it's like trying to help a lost and scared dog. You're risking getting bit in the process. It's a risk, but is a risk worth taking, isn't it? Some people, it's easier to put it in context of lost animals because who doesn't have a heart for a lost animal? But it's the same thing. Is it a risk worth taking? I would think, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? You can forget all the weird scenarios. He could turn and stab you or anything like that. You get rejected. You say, I'm, I'm fine. I don't need your help. Whatever you're selling, I don't need it. Okay, fine. You're told to mind your own business, maybe forcefully told to mind your own business. What if it's a complete waste of your time? Are those really bad things in terms of eternity? Maybe instead of those things happening, here's how it would work even if you're wrong about their struggles. Maybe we show someone that another believer in Jesus Christ cares about them. That would be terrible. Maybe we're an example of how to live a life as a doer of the word and not just someone who knows what they should do but doesn't do it. Maybe... We encourage someone else who might be watching us to take a chance and be bold also. Maybe it's your kid. Maybe it's a spouse, a friend. Maybe it's that person. Like, wow, I remember when that person went out of their way just to make sure I was okay. I was, but if they can do it, I can do it. Maybe, worst case scenario, we become an instrument that the Holy Spirit can use to change their heart, to change your own heart.
So you may be asking, how can I know if I should or when I should? How can I know? I can't just go up to every random stray person I see and ask them if they need help. That would be difficult and a little weird. After all, some don't want help, and they won't accept it. Some don't even realize that they're lost, and they will be utterly shocked when you come and ask them if they're okay. But there are some who are lost and are crying out inside for help, don't know how to ask for it. And when you are that one that says, are you okay? Can I help you? There's something in them that's going to break down. And they will be grateful that someone took a minute to ask if they're okay. Maybe we should do what this context, out of context verse from Paul advises, because I've heard this used too. Paul wrote this. I'm not making it up. 1 Corinthians 5 5. I have decided to touch, to turn such a person over to Satan for the destruction of his body so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. In other words, I'm doing a favor by letting them reap the consequences of what they have chosen. Horribly out of context. It's where we get things like this. Maybe you've seen this kind of an image. Can you read it? Kill them all. Let God sort them out. That's commonly used. You see it a lot on on military clothing and things like that, but a lot of people have that opinion. Let them all, whether it's actively kill them or just let them them die. If they want to sit under a bridge and do meth, let them. Let them reap the consequences. God will sort it out. Who gets to decide if we should try to help someone? Who gets to decide if we should try to return a lost sinner back to the correct path or let them stay on a path that leads to death? Who gets to decide that? After all, sometimes we're lost due to our own bad choices. Anybody know somebody who is lost or they're on the wrong path because they've chosen the wrong path? Me, anybody other than me do that? Sometimes we're led astray. Sometimes there's somebody who leads you down, a friend, an associate, a a news article. It could be any one of a number of things that leads you astray. But somehow or another, you find yourself in a place that you never thought you'd be. But sometimes people are lost because they're looking at the wrong map. Did you hear that? Sometimes people are lost because you're just looking at the wrong map. This world is full of advice on what direction you should go. There's no lack of that. This is why we need to study and know God's word. This is why it is so important to know what God's word says, to know the right path. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way which seems right to a person, but in the end leads to death. It's going to seem right to you. Nobody goes, this is the wrong path for me. I'm going to go ahead and start. Rarely do people do that. But to counter that, there's this promise from God. It's in Psalms, Psalm 1611. You will make known to me the path of life. 
In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. So God makes his wisdom known and makes his path clear to us. How does he do that? Ideas? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the power of prayer. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It's the power of prayer for those around you coming to you and helping to guide you to what the Holy Spirit has for you. It's all about prayer and accessing the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we put this all together, so if we take this whole teaching, this little section, and we put it in context with the entire letter of James, this is the last one, we're wrapping it up. Here's what I believe rises to the top and what we should be praying for daily. James, it's in chapter two, verses 14 through 17. What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, yet you don't give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead. Church, we are here to glorify God and to make him known, to make his son Jesus Christ known, not just by our words, but by our actions. Paul tells you that if you're new in Christ, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Anybody heard that verse? The old person lives for self-gratification. That is our nature. Left to our own devices, we'll try and make our own life easy and comfortable. But the new creation lives to serve Christ. That should be where we are. And we best serve Christ by serving his creation with humility, with sacrificial love, and exchanging everything that we want for everything that he wants. That should be our life. The last scripture I'm going to read to you, and then we're going to go into prayer, is from John. John 6, 38 to 40. It's Jesus' own words. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of everything he has given me, I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on that last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. That is God's will, given to Jesus Christ and then given to those who follow him. That should be our prayer. So would you join me? Father God, I just pray that you use me today. Use me to help someone who is lost see the right way and give me the boldness to not shy back, shy away from being bold. Better yet, 
Lord, highlight somebody. Somebody, maybe it's somebody sitting next to me. Maybe it's somebody I'll run into later today. Somebody in this building could be anywhere. But Lord, I just pray that you shine a spotlight on somebody and put a burden on my heart that I need to go talk to that person and ask them if they're okay. Not just how you doing, see ya, but really, how you doing? It starts simply, but it also starts with boldness. It's so easy, but it's so hard in this world to see someone we don't know, we don't have any relationship with, and help them to stay on the right path. So Father, I just pray that you bring those introductions, you bring those people into our circle today so that we can't miss it. And give us the opportunity to understand and to feel what a blessing it is to be your hands and feet in this world and to help someone back on the right path. We don't have to take their hand and walk through life with them. We just have to guide them where you tell us. So whether that's you need to walk with them through life or you need to just tell them their path is wrong, whether you need to sit down and have a talk with them, whatever it is, your Holy Spirit will tell us. And so that's what I pray for, that you speak to us more loudly, more clearly than ever, that we can be doers of the word, that we can step out into this world and people will immediately know there's something different about that person. What is it I need to find out? And through that, we can make you known. Father, that's my prayer. I hope it's your prayer. Lord, we lift up the name of Jesus in this place, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to go into communion now. While the worship team plays, I'll explain it for if you haven't been here before or haven't been in a while. You don't need to be a member of this church to do it. You don't have to be a regular attender. What you have to do is understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And you have to have accepted that sacrifice on the cross and all that it means. And then we invite you to take communion with us. We've got a couple ways to do it. Up front, this corner, in this corner we have bread and gluten-free crackers and, and wine. You just dip it into the wine and take it like that. And you'll come down the middle and form it like this. And then in the back, by the back door, um, if you don't want wine or you want to serve yourself, we have juice back there juice and bread and crackers and you can serve yourself. But let's do that with an understanding that by saying yes to the body and to the blood of Christ, by saying yes and taking that communion, you also accept that mission to be a doer of the word and to make him known. That's really all there is to it. And we invite you to do that and enjoy the rest of the worship. If you're new here or even if you're not, I invite you to stick around afterwards. We'll be around. We, have, we can answer questions or talk to you or show you around the building. Um, the tent's up, so don't forget to go down and get some coffee or some tea. Grab a donut. I bought extra donuts today. Somebody in here, I had the feeling, wanted extra donuts, and it wasn't just me. So they're down there. Let's move around and take communion now as we enjoy worship. Amen. Thank you, guys.